0: The first reading is taken from Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness, and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendour in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: The second reading is from a letter St. Paul to the Corinthians. About spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you, are, you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in the same God works all of them in all men. Now each to one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee and the power of the Spirit And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I think it was last week that I mentioned that before Christianity became known as Christianity, it was known as the Way, the Way of Jesus. And so if we want to be Jesus followers, which is what being Christian is meant to be all about, then we need to understand what it means to be on the way of Jesus. Author and theologian Eugene Peterson says that the way of Jesus is not a matter of style or technique, and nor is it a kind of vague pointing upwards towards God. He says that Jesus deliberately chose the way he would live By being prayerful and attentive to scripture. And that if we choose to follow him, so we too need to be prayerful and attentive to scripture, just as Jesus was. Now, last week we read about Jesus' baptism. um, And the the, the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And God's confirming voice that he is God's son whom God loves, he's delighted in. It's a lovely beginning, it's a great start to Jesus' life of ministry. Jesus has been called and equipped and commissioned, and so we might assume he's ready to start his ministry. But actually, not quite. Because all three of the first gospel writers, Matthew, Mark and Luke, tell us about a time when Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. He goes from his baptism straight out into the Judean wilderness. Just as we expect Jesus to go to the towns and cities and proclaim good news, he's sent into the desert place. And the wilderness is not a fun place to be. There's a photograph of the Judean wilderness up behind me. It's on the front of your service sheets. And it's a barren, deserted, dry, rocky wilderness where Jesus spends the next 40 days being tempted by the devil. I don't know if you're aware of this, but on the 21st of March, 2013, in other words, in a couple of months' time, the explorer, Ranul Fiennes, together with six expedition members, will begin a six-month journey to cross the Antarctica during winter. It's never been done before. Their route will take them up to 11,000 feet. They will experience... Wind chill factors of not minus 20, but minus 120. And during the six-month period, they will travel nearly 4,000 kilometres, almost entirely in the dark, in temperatures between minus 50 and minus 100. Can you imagine that? They will have to be entirely self-sufficient. There will be no search and rescue facilities available. They are certainly going into the wilderness, aren't they? The wilderness is a tough place to be. And in our lives, we will live through some, if not more than one, wilderness experiences. Perhaps the unexpected death of a loved one. Perhaps the breakup of a key relationship. Perhaps the breakup even of a marriage. Perhaps the loss of employment. Perhaps you've had a steady job for years and years and and suddenly it's gone perhaps a disabling injury, perhaps a mental illness. We experience wilderness times when any of the things that we normally count on for our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being are taken away from us. And it can be a place of fear and loneliness and pain or grief to which there are no easy answers and in which there are many temptations. Church members can experience wilderness times when they get a new church leader who takes the church in a new direction. Some of the old familiar ways disappear and some new ones arrive. And it feels quite uncomfortable. Or new church members who are used to a different kind of um, experience of church can experience wilderness times as they come in and adjust to Different ways of doing things. And the temptation for both is to take one of the easier routes and to avoid it or disconnect from it rather than to work through it. Jesus in the wilderness gives us some strong clues about which way to take when you are in the wilderness. The first easy route to take is to simply anaesthetize the pain or the stress that you are feeling. Jesus is hungry. The Spirit has led him to fast, to abstain from food for the 40 days in the wilderness. And the devil plants the idea in his head that although he has no food, he could always turn the stone into bread. You only have to look at this picture of the wilderness to see how that temptation came about. You're staring at the landscape, and let's face it, it, there's nothing. There's no trees, no grass, no rivers. And the only thing discernible that you can make out in your mind that you can focus on are the rocks in the foreground, the stones in the foreground. If you were the son of God, it would just be so tempting to meet that need and to end the pain by turning the stone into bread. And when we are hurting or grieving, fearful or lonely, there are many temptations that will ease the pain for us. Perhaps one of the things that more people in this country turn to for pain relief than anything else is alcohol. It's very good at meeting that need on a short term basis to escape from responsibility, from stress, from anxiety, or from low self confidence. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with a glass of wine at the end of the day to wind down. But for many, it can become a drug which they can't live without. There have been many times in my life when, to be honest, I've come close to that in the past. And the period we call Lent, which remembers Jesus' time in the wilderness and starts in about four weeks' time, is a good time to find out if you can actually live without something for 40 days, whether it's alcohol, chocolate, whatever whatever it is. Another easy route to take is to blame someone else. To be angry with someone else. It's not me. It's the other person's fault. Or it's God's fault. But blaming others is just another form of escapism. Or coping mechanism. Or, or addiction. Which in the end separates us one from another. It's the devil's way. It's not Jesus' way. The second temptation is about avoiding both the hard work and the ordinariness of life. The devil tempts Jesus to make a daring leap off the top of the temple so that a spectacular rescue by the angels will save him and the crowds will be wowed. A miracle to turn people's heads, win everybody over by a miracle rather than through the time-consuming business of relationships. The devil wants to tempt us into the illusion of entertainment as a substitute for real life and real relationships. Often when I talk to people I meet, I ask them what their interests are and what their hobbies are. And one of the most common answers is football. But they don't mean that they go and get a ball out of the cupboard and they go outside and kick it around with some friends... They mean that they spend hours and hours every week sitting on a couch watching other people run around kicking a ball. I like the game of football, but as someone once said, it largely consists of millions of people desperately in need of exercise watching 22 people desperately in need of a rest. (laughs) Now again, there's nothing wrong with watching a bit of sport. There's, There's nothing wrong with that. And particularly for for um, elderly people who are on their own and others who can't get out a lot, the television can be a real lifeline um, and a guard against boredom and loneliness. So it has many benefits. But so many young people spend so many hours, and not just young people, spend so many hours watching television, YouTube, computer games and so on, that in the words of a book written by a man named Neil Postman, we are as a society entertaining ourselves to death. In church life this can be quite subtle. It's the temptation to believe that the form of worship which we engage with, whether traditional or contemporary, is more important than the love of neighbour. We can be tempted to come to church for spiritual entertainment rather than to worship the creator of the universe. It then becomes more important that things are done the way I like than it is to help others find the love of god that's the second temptation the third is about power and rules the devil invites jesus to rule the world but only if it is on the devil's terms in the world of politics today the temptation plays out in the belief that you can create a wonderful society if you simply make the right laws if you make the right rules of course Some laws are necessary, but the utopian dreams of communism and fascism have proved beyond doubt that absolute power, to quote another person, I can't remember, corrupts absolutely. Mahatma Gandhi spoke disparagingly of dreaming of systems so perfect that no one will need to be good. It's a frightening thought, isn't it? But Jesus wasn't to take the root of absolute power. He was, in fact, to defeat the devil by the exact opposite. Absolute weakness. Nailed to a cross, God in Jesus carried the sins of the whole world on himself, defeated the power of evil and death by rising from the dead and opened up for us a new way to God. The way of Jesus wasn't a top-down power movement. It was a ground-up movement of peace and love which would never force itself on anyone but would work its way through society, transcending class barriers, racial divides, wealth gaps and national boundaries. And if we choose to follow him and his way, then his sacrifice saves us. We have salvation. We're set free from the condemnation and the temptation which the devil loves to throw at us. With each temptation, Jesus responds, not with a show of power or a threat of retaliation, but with the word of God. He just offers the word of God into the situation. In each case, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, the final words which God spoke through Moses. So what's the result of this wilderness experience? Well, Jesus overcomes the devil's schemes, and in verse 14 we read that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, but he comes out of the wilderness even more filled with with the power of the Spirit. Far from weakening him, the wilderness experience has strengthened him, and he is now, and only now, ready for his life's work. Wilderness experiences are tough. When they happen to us. As we've said, they can be painful, lonely places. And they present huge temptations to take the easy way out. To avoid the pain with temporary but ultimately unsatisfying distractions. But the wilderness, if you will let it be, can also be the place of greatest spiritual growth. Think about it. If we have everything that we need in life, if we have comfort and everything is just fine and dandy, what need do we have of God? If it all just falls in our lap, why would we need to pray? How would we grow in our faith? In the year 2000, I had a very good job. I had worked for 20 years without a single day's unemployment. And one morning I went into work and my boss gave me five minutes to clear my desk and go. Finished. No Particular reason given. It was a wilderness moment. I drove home feeling very strange. Suddenly, for the first time in my life, with a large mortgage and a family to support, I had no idea what I was going to do next. And I was out of work for three months. But it's interesting what happened, because in those three months, for the first time in my life, I had the time and the space to consider. The big questions of life, about life and death and faith and God, and, and I came in those three months to believe in God through Jesus Christ. I did the Alpha course and I asked a lot of questions and I wrestled with, with a lot of doubts that Jesus' way was better than my way. But in the end, I chose Jesus' way. And one of the reasons I did that was because of the experience that I had of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life as I prayed and I I saw prayers answered and and not just my own but I saw other people's lives changed for good when God came to live in their hearts. Jesus we are told was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and during those 40 days of prayer and fasting and overcoming temptation by the word of God he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and his ministry exploded. It took off. News about him spread throughout the whole countryside and everyone praised him. We read, the wilderness can be a tough place, but it's always a place where God gives us the opportunity to grow in faith more than at any other time as we put our trust in Jesus. Amen. Let's just remain seated as we, as we verbally confirm our trust in Jesus, our faith in Jesus, in this short affirmation of faith taken from Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. As we say together, we believe in God the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We believe in God the Son, who lives in our hearts through faith and fills us with his love. We believe in God the Holy Spirit, who strengthens us with power from on high. We believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.